This evening's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 31 to 43, which can be found on page 1052 of the Church Bible. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. All the people saw it, they also praised God. Thank you, Jane. Let's just pray before we start, shall we? Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done for us. And thank you for your word. And help us to use that word tonight to understand more of your love and all that you've achieved. Amen. Well, there's only one point, really, this evening I I, I want to uh, talk about. And that's the, the verse on the screen, which is completely illegible in the font size that I'm looking at. So is it... Equally illegible? Yeah, just about. Oh, well, never mind. I'll tell you what it says anyway. (laughs) 2 Timothy 1.10, the Lord Jesus has defeated evil. He has destroyed death and brought life through the gospel. That's what I want us to hang on uh, tonight, because I don't know about you, um, COVID doesn't scare me very much. Thermonuclear war does. Now, different things affect people differently. Maybe you're very relaxed about nuclear war, um, but more fussed about COVID. I don't know. But we live uh, in a time of some peril and some fear, and we look around the world, and we see the news coming from Ukraine, and we think, what on earth is God up to? And we need to perhaps sometimes reclaim that truth, don't we? The Lord Jesus has defeated evil, he's destroyed death, and he's brought life through the gospel. Utterly and completely he has defeated death. And that means he's destroyed evil at every single level. And tonight we're going to be focusing on the big picture, the sort of the cosmic scene, if you like, 
and then focusing right down to us as individuals and what the Lord has done for you and me. But you can never start this conversation, and if you're chatting to your friends, you can never have this sort of conversation without someone saying, well, if Jesus destroyed evil, and if God's done all this stuff, why does bad stuff still happen? Why do I still see all this stuff on the news? Um, That's a great topic during Alpha, actually. If you want to come and discuss it then, that is a really good uh, evening when we discuss that in more detail. And we can't deal with it all right now, but we can say one thing. And that is to say that the Bible doesn't mess around. The Bible is set absolutely in the real world and bad stuff was happening in those days just as it is now. And there's a good principle straight away. Verse 31 of our reading. Because can you see there, Jesus takes the 12 aside. There's a good little principle there straight away, isn't there? Of stepping aside from the worries of life for a moment and spending time with Jesus to see what's going on. Now, if, like me, you were given children's Bibles when you were little, or perhaps you still got them, or you look at them, whenever you see a picture of Jesus and the disciples, it's always sunny. It's always like a sort of a family picnic. Uh, Everybody's terribly healthy and, and, and happy, isn't it? But, you know, these guys actually had an awful lot to worry about. We know from Luke's Gospel, uh, we're on our way, uh, we're travelling to the Passover at Jerusalem, uh, and we've heard already that the disciples have said, we've given up everything. We, we, we've kind of burned our boats. We're committed to you. And, and they, they're expecting Jesus to do something fairly dramatic. He's going to lead an independence movement. There's going to be some sort of coup, probably some sort of fighting as, as they resist a brutal Roman occupation. And, and we know that that is a risky exercise. That gets you killed. Uh, and in fact, we know at least one guy was on death row at the time. We read this, Barabbas was due to be executed for that approach to the Roman occupation. And we can imagine, it's almost certainly there would have been Roman checkpoints on the road as they walked along their way to Jerusalem, checking for dissidents. This wasn't an easy, comfortable life for the disciples. And life was pretty tough anyway. We just read there were beggars along the side of the road. There was illness, there was poverty. So life then was just as tough, just as scary as it might seem to us now. And yet, look at verses 32, 33. Jesus takes the disciples on one side and he doesn't say, don't worry, it'll be all right. You know, just stick close to me. He says quite the opposite, doesn't he? He says, The Son of Man, Stephen just said, that's Jesus' title, if you like, he's using. The Son of Man is going to fall into the hands of the enemy. He's going to be beaten up. He's going to be abused. He's going to be killed. Um, And then, by the way, three days later, he's going to rise again. I don't think that's what they wanted to hear. 
That's not what we want to hear from God, is it, really? We want God to do something slightly more, more tangible, sort the problems out. And I don't think it's fair to laugh at the disciples for being dopey and not getting it, because they simply don't. They don't have a clue what Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 34. Luke says they didn't understand it three different ways, three times. He's really ramming the point home. The disciples are clueless in trying to understand what Jesus is saying. They didn't get who this son of man was. Uh, They didn't understand what these prophecies were Jesus was talking about. Uh, They couldn't understand how this could happen to the guy who's supposed to be uh, leading them to victory. And as for rising from the dead or rising again on the third day, well, goodness knows what that means. They couldn't make sense at all of Jesus. So at what point does the penny drop? When do the disciples understand what Jesus is talking about? John 16, 4, we get a bit of a clue. Jesus says to the disciples, I tell you these things in advance so that you will remember and understand them. So in other words, you'll be able to look back and it'll make sense to you. And the key event that allows that to happen is the resurrection. After three days, he will rise again. And after Jesus has risen again, with the help of the Holy Spirit, the disciples can see, their eyes are opened to see that what happened to Jesus was no accident. Jesus said, I knew it was going to happen. I told you it was going to happen. In fact, the whole of the history of the Old Testament points to this one moment of my death and my resurrection. And it's at the cross that Jesus achieves that victory. That is where he defeats evil and death. Isaiah 53, it's where all our griefs and sorrows were laid on the Lord Jesus. And I think recently it's been brought home to us what that might feel like, isn't it? As our hearts have been broken, seeing some of the stuff on the news, all the horrors and evil that we see. And imagine all that on one person. And then multiply that by the stuff that we don't see. Add on our personal circumstances and our sinfulness. And then strip away God's grace that even in this rotten world we still have with us. And that is what Jesus goes through. And through his death, Hebrews 2 says, he destroyed the devil and delivers us from the fear of death. That is the great promise in these verses. But it's the resurrection that proves it. That's why Christians hammer on so much about the resurrection. It proves once and for all that Jesus' death was effective. John Stott says this. He says, we are not to see the cross as defeat and the resurrection as victory. Rather, the cross was the victory won and the resurrection was the victory endorsed, proclaimed, and demonstrated. Maybe you were here a couple of weeks ago when Dan was preaching 
uh, and he said we must cling to the cross. And of course, we could tweak that and say we do cling to a cross, but we cling to an empty cross. And sometimes we forget that, don't we? Sometimes we see the world's in a mess. We see this, this bad news and we think, has, has, has Jesus really done this? I don't know, do you, do you, I don't know whether you do eBay auctions or Facebook or anything else like that. Every now and again, I go mad and start buying rubbish on eBay and then we have to throw it away a few weeks later. Um, and it's always rubbish and it's always worth a few quid. But imagine saying, well, I want to buy that matchbox car. Um, and the auction's got, you know, a week to go. I'll put in a bid for a million pounds for that matchbox car for two quid. You know, the auction will keep going. The price will start going up. I can check it every day. But it doesn't really matter, does it? I've paid such an extreme price. It doesn't matter what happens to that auction. It's got time to run. The story isn't finished yet. But I'm absolutely certain of winning that victory. That matchbox car is mine because I've paid such a price for it. And sometimes we just need to be taken aside, don't we, by the Lord Jesus. We need perhaps to sit down with him beside that empty tomb and let him reassure us the price has been paid and we can look beyond the, the soldiers and the beggars and our own situations and just know for sure that evil has had its day. But, you know, sooner or later, that, that great truth has got to be made personal. Otherwise, it can sound a bit like state TV telling us we've won a great victory. And you think, well, it doesn't quite feel like it. Not in my own life. Sooner or later, that great truth has to be applied to each one of us here. And that's why the, the reading moves on. And we move from this big picture to this much more day-to-day mundane scene. Uh, that's Jericho now. Uh, there's the road going through Jericho. Uh, I just guessed that's where our blind beggar sat, but maybe not. But, you know, just gets the idea. This is, this is real stuff with a real individual. Um, and we know his name. His name is Bartimaeus. Uh, that crops up in the other Gospels. Luke doesn't name him. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll use his name because that makes life easier. And he's got his own problems, isn't he? He's, he's ill. He's, he's poor. He's disabled. So what does he do? Well, he gets by the wayside. He gets close to the Lord Jesus. And he cries out for mercy. And have you noticed from that slightly sort of theoretical picture that Jesus painted or, or high level, this is incredibly personal. Look at verse 38. Bartimaeus cries out, have mercy on me. You know, he could have prayed for everybody else, couldn't he? If he'd been, he could have said, well, you know, there's lots of other beggars here. There would have been all sorts of things he could have prayed about. No, no, no. This is personal, isn't it? This is about him and Jesus where we all have to get to at some point. And when he's told to shut up, which is almost exactly what the Greek says, he gets desperate. Verse 39, look at it. He says he shouted. Apparently, better translation would have been he screamed 
I was trying to say screamed and shrieked together then. I don't know what that means. He shrieked. He, he, he screamed and he shrieked. I don't know how many of you have got two-year-olds or been two yourself, uh, but it's that two-year-old tantrum screaming. Have mercy on me, he's screaming. William Barclay says, a gentle, sentimental longing never really taps the power of God. Maybe one to think about, but perhaps we need a bit more screaming and shrieking here, do we? Perhaps we need to pray like two-year-olds. Because look what happens. Jesus responds. And again, it's personal, isn't it? It's one-to-one. It's how Jesus works with us. Uh, And in this case, he didn't need to. He's healed from a distance before, hasn't he? He could have walked by and said, yeah, you're, you're sorted. Or he could have ignored him altogether. There are other beggars he would have walked by. But Jesus has cried out, Lord, have mercy. And the key thing is he's trusting in Jesus. And he knows who Jesus is. And Jesus responds. And we know that he's trusting in Jesus because of what he calls him. Look at verse 37. When he asks what's happening, the crowd tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. You know, some bloke from Nazareth is, is, is going by. But how does Bartimaeus respond? He, he, he's brighter than the disciples at this point. He knows who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit has been at work in him. And look what he calls him in verse 39. Son of David. It's a messianic title, a bit like son of man that we just had. Bartimaeus gets it. He understands that only Jesus can save. That's what happens. Verse 42, Jesus says, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Now, at this point, our translation is pretty clunky, to be honest, because that kind of reads like, um, well, receive your sight because you've trusted in me so much you've managed to get your eyesight back. Um, other translations, which are better, frankly, say, <clears throat> received your sight, your faith has saved you, which is what the Greek word is. There are two different things happening here, not one. Bartimaeus is receiving his sight, but he's also being saved. He's being made whole. He's being restored in his relationship to God because he's trusted in the Lord Jesus. So he is restored through trust in the Lord Jesus. And to prove it, your eyesight is restored. You can now see again. So on the cross, Jesus deals with evil and sin on a grand scale. And then that same grace comes to touch this one man sitting on that road up there in Jericho in this deeply personal encounter. It's moving, if you like, the grand theory into practice. There comes a point, doesn't there, where we can listen to all this stuff uh, and we can come to church and we can, we can say, yeah, 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 I understand all the teaching and I get what Alpha's on about. Sooner or later, we have to make this personal. Otherwise, it's a bit like doing the driving test. I, I did the motorbike theory test before a certain person intervened in my motorcycling career, and I never got on to do the practical. But, you know, I can do the motorbike theory test as often as I like, and management would probably be quite happy with me doing that. 
because that's never going to get me on a motorbike. Probably, thankfully. <laughs> Sooner or later, we have to get practical. We have to put ourselves into this equation. And we have to call out to Lord Jesus on our own basis. We have to cry, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And that's when that defeat of evil and death comes into play in my own life. So here's a question. My story, what happens next? Well, we get a bit here, don't we? Verse 43, what does Bartimaeus do? It says he follows Jesus, praising God, and other people praise God as a result. You see, when, act, when God acts in our lives, our lives change. And we should expect to see that change. And we should be praising God because of that change. But the reason God acts in our life dramatically like this, and perhaps with healing, is so that other people will praise God. Other people will be pointed to him. So there's a question for us this week. As God acts in our lives, as he has acted, are other people seeing that? Or is that something we just need to pray about every day? You know, Lord, make, me a, uh, make my changed life affect other people. Make people see a difference in me. Well, that's what happens to Bartimaeus. What happens to Jesus? Well, we know exactly what happens to Jesus, don't we? Because we're in the season of Lent while we think about this. He will die as he said he would. He will rise again. And the disciples, through the power of the Spirit, will be able to witness to the fact that Jesus has defeated death and conquered evil. And circle back and say, well, that's great news, but life goes on. You know, the resurrection didn't end wars and, and diseases. In fact, Jesus said the very opposite, didn't he? He said things are going to get worse. Here's an intriguing thought. It's perfectly possible that Bartimaeus was still living in Jerusalem at the siege of Jerusalem 30 years later. Uh, the, the, the scholars think that Bartimaeus is named because he would have been active in the early church. And the siege of Jerusalem, I mean, there's lots of documentation, was horrific. And we know about what horrific sieges look like at the moment, don't we? Life doesn't suddenly become wonderful because we know the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 says, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. But, but until that moment, we know we have a God who has conquered death and who does care about what's going on in the world. And the Church of England publishes a Lent book uh, every year. Um, Jane Williams wrote it a couple of years ago called The Merciful Humility of God. And she wrote this. The incarnate Jesus, you know, the bodily Jesus, lived at a particular time in a particular place and met real people. Jesus, risen from the dead, does not float off into divine abstraction, but still meets us as we actually are. 
and turns us around to tell a new story, the good news that God can bring life out of death, even the death of all hope and possibility. God can give our past a new future, and we know this because the crucified one is risen. So the Lord Jesus has destroyed death and brought life through the gospel. And one day, that crucified one will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, for the old order will pass away. But until then, what we need to be sure is that we are on the wayside, close to Jesus, and calling out, Lord, have mercy.